Hey everyone, and welcome to this special Soapbox edition of the Risky Business Podcast. My name's Patrick Gray. For those of you who don't know, these Soapbox editions are wholly sponsored, and that means everyone you hear in one of these editions paid to be here. And today we're chatting with Ryan Callumber, the Executive Vice President of Cybersecurity Strategy at Proofpoint. And uh, I love this interview because it is genuinely thought-provoking. As you'll hear, Ryan believes that there are three absolutely killer threats right now that are likely to cause you trouble. Ransomware, BEC, and insider threat. Now, these three things are pressing. I agree with him on that. Uh, And as he sees it, there are a lot of organizations out there who are using the wrong controls uh, for dealing with this sort of threat. They're focused on the wrong stuff. Are you better off rolling out a SIEM project or getting all of your users YubiKeys to stamp out Credfish? Uh, Should you spend up big on web application security or just throw signal sciences in front of your web apps and use the money you save uh, to introduce some BEC protections? Should you spend megabucks on a penetration testing program or roll out some behavior-based DLP that'll tell you when your sales director has emailed herself 12 gig of data five days after putting in a notice? Should you roll out comprehensive Kubernetes security controls or alternatively some tools that monitor Active Directory for glaringly suspicious behavior? Uh, This is the vibe in this interview. We know what attackers are doing mostly, uh, and we need to start aligning our spending and programs to deal with this, this, these common behaviors and common attacks. Now, look, most of our listeners here at Risky Business, they're grown-ups, and they can make good decisions about where to put their money and where to put their effort. And all of those technologies that I was just talking about are useful. Seam, web application security program tools, uh, pen testing, even the Kubernetes stuff, it's all useful stuff. And there's going to be a lot of people for whom that stuff is essential. But the point is, Ryan is seeing companies out there in the market who are investing in these things while their controls for the big three threats are insufficient. Uh, So he makes some good points in this interview, and I think it's worth listening to. So here is Proofpoint's Ryan Caliber. Enjoy. Yeah, there's three things that you can virtually assume 100% of the time are not just going to affect you ever, but are going to affect you probably this month. And one is activity associated with a ransomware actor, because everybody can be extorted no matter what you do. Number two is business email compromise, because everybody moves money around, and fraudsters know that. And three is data loss. Everyone has people walk out the door every day. The great resignation is real, and they take data with them. So those are the three things that are effectively horizontal parts of everybody's threat model that don't always get enough attention in organizations. It's interesting when you look back over the last, say, decade, right? You go back 10, 12 years ago, you had LulzSec burning down all of these major brands via web application compromises, right? So all of a sudden, web application security became a big focus for 10 years. But then along comes ransomware, and thanks to cryptocurrency... Uh, you know, ransomware emerged and turned literally everyone into a target all the time in a pretty severe way. So priorities had to refocus, but not everyone got the memo, right? Yeah, exactly. And when you look at a security program and you're coming into a new organization, there's always a million things you could do. There are always a million things that you can secure that have some level of risk associated with them. But to have a big, broad program all based around something that is highly, highly unlikely, not even just to occur, but to have an adverse ad, uh, impact on your organization, 
Like we're past the point where most organizations can support that and go back 10 years for a couple of things, right? One, the model was different on the cybercrime side. Carters ruled, right? They're going after retailers. There was a little bit of APT activity, but ultimately it wasn't the same thing as what BEC and ransomware have done. People would come to their CIOs and actually articulate a lot of this stuff. And the CIO would say, yeah, but it's not happened and it's not going to happen. And weirdly, Unfortunately, the CIOs were right. I know, I know. I, you know, you and I had this conversation the other day, right? Which is like back in the day, back in the day, you know, you would speak to some of these executives and they'd say, well, we're not really a target. And the irritating thing is like we would always say, but no, everybody's a target and you've got to do this and compliance and blah, whatever. But the irritating thing is they were kind of right. They're not anymore, but they were right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And some of them... Uh, I think I've, I've updated their thinking to some extent because well, they had to these, because they're all yeah. targets now, right? Because ransomware, yeah. it doesn't yeah, no, matter exactly. whether you're 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 owning a bakery chain or a you know a company that makes fasteners, it just doesn't matter, right? Everyone's a target, right? Right. But uh, but interestingly, you know the the other couple technologies again, ten years ago is a really interesting comparison to today, right? Ten years ago, I was working at a seam company, <laughs> sort of running product strategy for ArcSight. I would today argue that the vast majority of organizations do not need a sim. They're not capable of getting a huge amount of value out of it. It's going to be extremely expensive in terms of time and resources, and it's not aligned to the likelihood that they face in terms of adverse impacts. What you're going to get from your logs is not going to tell you that your finance department is getting lit up with BEC today. It's just not. No, and it's not going to tell you much about insiders either. Right, right, exactly. And further, it probably won't tell you much about data loss in general. And so the, the other kind of flashback to 10 years ago when uh, every year at RSA there was a next-gen DLP solution out there that promised to do uh, something a little bit better than the year before, that, that was a completely different world too because DLP wasn't really focused on insiders. There weren't, it wasn't really focused on anything other than compliance and generating a whole heap of alerts that no one would ever respond to, but you had to do it. Yeah. Now, when it comes to the things that we're finding, we find insane user activity that uh, unfortunately just happens so, so regularly that we can't discount it anymore. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll, we'll get to the DLP discussion in a bit. Proofpoint obviously offers a DLP solution, and it is interesting in that it focuses more on behavior than data. Because uh, old DLP, the other thing about it too was it was just so trivially easy to bypass, right? Like password protected zips. I don't know, you could embed them in a Word document or something like, you know, just something stupid like that, right? Like they were just stupid bypasses. Um, but let's continue yeah. the same discussion a, a little because I, I do find this an interesting one. You know, I, I've I've done a lot of sponsor work with companies that offer Seam products, and there are some huge organizations out there with big socks who absolutely need them. But it is very difficult, isn't it, to put your hand on your heart and tell a mid-level enterprise that they should be running a Seam program because they're bloody expensive. Yeah, exactly. They're bloody expensive, and they come with a couple of assumptions. One is that well, if I can't see it, I can't secure it. That is a challenging thing to say right now because you might not need to secure it. And this goes back to the likelihood <laughs> side. If it's a VPN box facing the internet, yes, 100%, you need to secure that thing. <laughs> if it is you know, a user who can interact with untrusted code via email or Teams or whatever else, yes, you need to secure that thing because the likelihood that it will encounter something malicious is extremely high. 
but the vast majority of things that we gathered telemetry on through a sim didn't necessarily reflect the actual risks that we face. BEC and DLP, and to a large extent, most of what you'd actually look for, even for a ransomware initial infection, are not going to show up in a typical sim. Uh, maybe your EDR alerts end up there, and we've rebranded this whole thing XDR now. But well, the typical mid-sized organization, to your point... It... XDR is kind of like seem light, right? Right, right, exactly. And, you know, that's not to say that you can't get really good signal out of that if you try. But the average organization who's struggling to retain employees, struggling to just keep the lights on from a security perspective and burning out every time we see a log for X or a spring for shell or just take your take your pick of uh, of absolute, you know, theoretically interneting internet melting vulnerabilities that don't usually end up getting exploited that way. Again, likelihood becomes a really, really challenging thing to parse if you haven't seen this movie a bunch of times before, like some of us have, but many of us in security leadership roles haven't. It, it reminds me of the old George Carlin bit where he said, you know, they say it's the quiet ones you got to watch. This sounds to me like a very dangerous assumption. I will bet you anything that while you're watching a quiet one, a noisy one will f***ing kill you. <laughs> Suppose you're in a bar and one guy's sitting over on the side reading a book, not bothering anybody. Another guy's standing up at the front with a machete, banging it on the bar, saying, I'll kill the next motherfucker who comes in here. Who are you going to watch? You know, this is kind of this is kind of the logic, right? Like, we maybe need to stop watching uh, the quiet ones in terms of impact and maybe keep an eye on the machete-wielding ransomware crews, uh, insiders who have taken new jobs at competitors and are exfilling all your data, uh, you know, stuff like that. And BEC is just so prevalent now. Like, even friends of mine in small to medium businesses... Uh, one of them there, you know, someone who contracts them got BEC'd and uh, they actually got sent something that they did click on, but they didn't act on and they were just terrified that they'd been malware. They weren't. I helped them with that. But it's everywhere now. First, uh, I miss George Carlin. And yeah. that bit is an absolutely legendary one. Uh, but second, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Because ultimately, the BEC guys and the ransomware actors, frankly, are the ones around waving machetes around. Yeah. They're very, very obviously there. And what they're doing is not a secret. Their playbooks are actually relatively well understood. And they do things repeatedly. Like, you can actually see... Okay, take the BEC example. Compromising an Office 365 account, especially at the smaller, maybe even third party to a medium-sized company, that's the playbook. And once you have that, which is not challenging to do in most environments, you can do so, so, so much else. And that's the model, right? So and your, likelihood and your of encountering advanced, that even- Your advanced web application uh, security program not gonna really help with that, right? Well, right. And again, if you if your product is a web application, yeah, of course, you have to secure that. Yes. That is your job. If your product is not a web application, that's probably not where you want to spend the bulk of your time, your precious resources, your money, your people's time, which is, in fact, you know, the, the, the most limited resource for most organizations, because it's just not going to line up with what you're going to see. And, and BEC, because it is so ubiquitous and it is so not lined up with a security product, right? There are a couple of different things that you need to do in order to reduce the risk of BEC, some of which are technical and some of which are not, that people don't think through it because it doesn't fit into that classic paradigm of, I have a problem, application has vulnerabilities, I have a solution for that. I'm either going to throw people at it or I'm going to throw a tool at it. 
Yeah, BEC is is tricky because quite often there's no malware involved. I mean, sometimes they do, right? Like yeah. they're getting a little bit more sophisticated in that way, but often it's just tricky emails from compromised mailboxes. Yeah, exactly. And we're building more and more tools. In fact, one just went live this month. We're keeping state on email interactions because we want to know if you've ever corresponded with this sender before, even if they're representing themselves as someone who is a colleague of yours or a trusted third party. And if somebody has inter excuse me basically interacted with you before but they have not mentioned a financial transaction or they haven't done any of the kind of tells there you have to actually just do natural language processing on the body of the email this is long tail stuff but from a detection perspective it matters because the likelihood is so high so rather than look for a looking for log4j really attempts in some uh, middleware box buried deep yes. in your network yeah maybe look for the for the bc stuff right yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Like log4j, sure, if it's a VMware box yeah. that is actually on the internet or if, virtually speaking, of course. But yes, exactly. And, and, and the effort to deploy most security tools is relatively similar, with the exception of some like SIM, which have a very long tail associated with them. You know, going through a procurement process, going through all of the, the rigmarole that a typical large organization has to do to deploy anything is a pain. And so when you when you do that, if it's not lined up with something that is not only likely to happen, but likely to hurt you, that's wasted time and energy. And we're past the point where most of us can afford to do that. I mean, one thing that I've noticed in, God, the long time that I've been reporting on InfoSec, right, is that if you had to ask someone 10, 15 years ago, how do I go, go about securing my environment, you would get 20 different answers. These days, though, at least when it comes to the basics, the basics used to be, you know, audit your passwords and, you know, things like that, which sounds like very naive advice uh, in 2022. These days, it's much more along the lines of, you know, 2FA everywhere, harden your endpoints. I mean, it, it looks kind of like a, you know, zero trust strategy, a light zero trust strategy is kind of like what it looks like today. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think there is broad industry consensus on what the basics are and that the basics work. I would throw in the added dimension, though, that so much is down to the human element as opposed to technical vulnerability exploitation, that that is an area in which we underspend time and resources and should be considered part of the basics. Now, that's different in every organization in terms of what that looks like, how you protect people, how you understand who's being attacked, and how you give them the proper controls to not get themselves owned all the time. Uh, but of course, that's a part of a broader picture where the rest of the technical controls patch everything facing the internet, MFA all the things, remove those legacy protocols are well understood and actually mostly do map to likelihood. The thing that is crazy, though, is just look at that Verizon data from last year. 85% of breaches involving a human element, 3% involving technical vulnerability exploitation. The yeah. story's super clear on that front. And the likelihood, again, of a human doing something that they're either socially engineered into doing or you know, shouldn't be doing for other reasons, like they're a malicious insider, that's what's 100%. So it's a really, really good and high value way to spend time and energy. Yeah, I mean, like regular listeners know that I'm involved with Airlock Digital who do allow listing and I'm such an advocate for that because that's the problem that it solves, at least on the endpoints, right? Like you're still going to be able to social engineer people into doing silly cloud things and granting uh, authorizations where they shouldn't and whatever, but at least you're going to stop them from executing silly stuff on the endpoint, um, which, yeah, I just think this is 
absolutely the right way to go for everyone because <laughs> it because it works yeah. a lot better these days than it uh, than it used to. But I mean, obviously, you wanted to have this conversation with me because you are seeing uh, organizations out there not actually aligning their priorities to this consensus way, right? Like, would you say that's a, would you say that there are some organizations or a lot of organizations out there that are getting distracted by the shiny red balloon that's, you know, floating across the room and they're going and spending all their money on stuff that doesn't deliver some of these basic uh, assurances? It's, it's really frequent. And I think every organization has to, even the very, very well-resourced ones, they all make trade-offs. And they figure out, all right, this is where I'm going to go with, you know, the default thing that Microsoft or Google offers me. And this is where I'm going to invest in an advanced tool. And this is where I'm actually going to get my team spending time and effort or maybe even set up someone who is going to respond to alerts on this tool rather than that tool. I've run into lots of organizations that don't have basically any kind of alert workflow on somebody clicking on something malicious in email whereas they do have alert workflow on IPS chirping away. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's misaligned with the actual threat landscape and the likelihood of something going wrong there. And you do also, you know, have a lot we have a lot of new people in the industry every year, which is a great thing, and you can't always get a good feel for all right, what do I have to do here? And you got vendors chirping in your ear. Many vendors are inventing solutions to problems that don't quite exist yet, even though they might be interesting in the future. Uh, container security, serverless, like those are all theoretical risks. They're just not owning you today. So all of those things become shiny objects. I'd say one, one company, and it, it was a sponsored thing, but I did a, a product demo recording with Red Canary. It's, it hasn't been edited yet. We'll be publishing it soon enough. Seeing stuff like that makes me hopeful though, right? Because their whole model is about taking all of your logs, EDR, whatever, like replacing the whole SOC seam thing and giving you one alert a month. <laughs> and yeah, you're totally. going to pay attention to that one, right? I, I, I feel like, you know, the, the MSP model was, was broken for a long time, but there seem to be these new larger players coming in that kind of operate. It's funny, actually, because I made the same point to them during the recording that they're sort of doing for, for um, you know, log alerts what Proofpoint does for email detections, right? Like they're a detection mm -hmm. engineering team for network and endpoint logs, whereas you just mostly focus on uh, on email. You know, do you think we're going to see more uh, companies like that emerge to do that sort oh, of stuff? Absolutely. And I think there are other MDR vendors that also have started to pay attention to Office 365. Yeah. <laughs> because they should. And a huge amount of them, their alerts are, well, this is BEC. Yeah, And actually, MDR is perfectly suited for that mid-market where that makes a ton of sense. And a lot of the MDR companies that are paying attention to the data are not just looking at true positive, false positive on traditional network alerts. They're actually doing the sorts of things in the collaboration apps where ransomware still starts a majority of the time, again, mostly email, uh, and BEC starts 100% of the time. So those are those are things that are really, really hopeful trends. And I think the, the other thing that is happening there is that you know you do want even if you're a smaller organization and you're going to depend on that third-party provider 
you want them looking at the stuff that is likely to have a business impact. Yeah. You don't need to roll out this crazy NDR thing when most of your stuff's not on our network anyway. I mean, they're, even the, some of them seem to be building cloud features. Well, I was actually, that was actually something I was going to say, which is one of the reasons the managed detection and response companies are actually able to uh, look and inspect some of this cloud stuff is because the network detection and response vendors are now ingesting that information and actually you know throwing it into their, into their engines, right? Because the MDRs, yeah. the managed detection and response people are still using vendor tools you know they're not building their own right necessarily right. some of them and, are, but yeah and 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 it is interesting it's fascinating to see the ndrs basically say well so much of this stuff is not happening on the network we have to do what casby's have been doing for years <laughs> like our casby yeah. we've been doing a account takeover not trying to use the acronym uh you know oauth stuff all, all of that we we've been doing since 2017 and still matters because you just see those campaigns day in and day out. And we're actually seeing some innovation on, you know, the evasion of MFA front, you know, fish kits that can basic, basically be transparent reverse proxies and all those attacks, again, that line up with ransomware and BEC activity because the ransomware actors very often also just want credentials uh, that they can then RDP into a box with. So there's a couple of different flavors of that, but ultimately it's, exactly uh, illust uh, illustrative of that trend that you mentioned. The things are moving and they're moving to cloud. And if more of that focus happens, that is a good thing. But cloud is this big nebulous attack surface for a lot of organizations. And yeah, you you could totally get a coin miner on you know some EC2 instance you pay for. Well, there was the, lam the Lambda one recently, right? Which was the uh, Lambda hilarious. one is a yeah. great example. Yeah. yeah, it's hilarious and a great example, but What's likeliest to go wrong out there? Yeah, misconfigured S3 bucket still. It's still Office 365 account getting owned, being used to commit fraud or something along those lines. That's the likelihood, which mm. can even get, guide what you should be paying attention to on this cloud side of things. One thing that's, I got to admit, has surprised me quite a lot is, I mean, even 20 years ago, right? If you went into a cafe in the Sydney CBD, sat down, ordered yourself a latte, you know, you would see people coming in dropping their keys on the table, and they all had RSA tokens on their keychains, right? As we okay. know, they weren't really a control that stood the test of time. They were pretty good for their day uh, until the, the Chinese, you know, kind of ruined the fun. Um, <laughs> but as you point out, right? Fishing them with an Excel file, by the way. Yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it goes back to that whole thing about what's, you know, how you're likely to get owned. Uh, but what surprises me actually is uptake of U2F keys like YubiKeys and stuff. We are seeing it among sysadmins and domain admins and stuff. You know, you give it, people are giving them to their most important mm -hmm. people. But why is it that when you go to a cafe in Sydney now and sit down and order a latte, you're not seeing YubiKeys on everyone's <laughs> keychain? Because this completely sidesteps that issue of, of OTP, you know, real-time MFA bypass phishing. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And you know, having been in the Sydney CVD just a few weeks ago, ordering a flat white, not a latte, I, I can testify to that. There is absolutely no one throwing down their their, their YubiKey on the on the cafe table, and that's a misalignment again with likelihood and the security controls that we choose to put our time and effort into. Well, and this Even is why this is why I mentioned it. Let me to everybody. let me ask you, right? If you had budget for either U2F keys for your entire workforce or SIEM, what would you spend the money on? Yeah, obviously the U2F keys. It's yeah. a no-brainer, and that and, and actually our data continues to show that credential phishing still, even with the waves of 
malware linked to ransomware operators that we're actually writing about quite a lot. You know, we've paying paying attention to what the the Revil guys are doing, and you know, the Basil loader now uh, transitioning over to Bumblebee. Tidal waves of Emotet, all of that happens, and it's still dwarfed by the amount of credfish. Yeah, still. And yeah. I do. I do is feel like evolving. I, I do feel like I'm taking crazy pills a little with that whole thing, where you know, as I said, ubiquitous uh, RSA keys everywhere. Uh, and now yeah. we're just not seeing the same for the for the really effective one where there's been all this amazing engineering, there's all the browser support, it's done, and yet we're not seeing the uptake, yeah. right? It does seem a bit nuts. Yeah. And I, I've yeah. got to disclose, of course, that uh, yeah, uh, Ubico is an extremely minor sponsor of, of Risky Biz. They do like one soapbox episode a year or whatever. But uh, yeah, everyone should buy yeah. their stuff. I've I've got a YubiKey plugged into my laptop right now. Yeah. Uh, but yes, it's a it's it's a control that makes sense, and you can argue that we've regressed on that front uh, since you had a very specific point of access, which was the VPN authing to that RSA token, and now you've got lots more, uh, most of which tend to be cloud applications. Yeah, and uh, people are running like Google Authenticator on their phone or whatever as a you know. Right. Right. Exactly. Also regression. And if you think about the though the the likelihood that that particular issue, credential compromise, plays a role in the bad thing, whether it's data loss, ransomware, or BEC, that likelihood is extremely high. Mm. And so that's just another way to look at your security projects. If you're looking at okay, I got shiny new ML based tool to do X. Okay. That's great, but is it lined up with something I'm actually going to see? Something that's actually going to hurt me? Something where if it happened to my organization, I would think in hindsight, I should have been able to stop that. Versus all of the things that we consider as theoretical risks, where it's almost forgivable to get owned that way. Like if you get owned by NSO group zero days, like no one's going to be, no one's going to blame you for that. That's not the sort of thing that's of course in everybody's threat model, but it's again, it's not the sort of thing people well, get the Well, the SolarWinds thing was a good example too. Like no one was angry at people totally. for failing to spot that. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And again, SolarWinds is a good illustration where a security vendor like us or like the ones that got owned, like, you know, Mimecast, Microsoft, you know, take, take your pick. That is very much part of your job to do that. Uh, we have to secure our CI/CD pipeline quite, quite well, uh, and even the whole DevSecOps thing. We have to do that work. Does the average organization have to do that work? Probably not. Mm. The vast majority of the time, they're going to be better served putting that energy elsewhere. Well, I mean, you know, we spoke about web app security earlier, and uh, as you said, like if you if your job is running, you know, if your company runs a web application. You know, if it's a real estate website or whatever, yeah, you you need an AppSec team, absolutely. But you know, if it's if you've got a limited interaction web presence, you know, you're probably okay just using Signal Sciences and calling it a day, right? Oh yeah, totally, totally. Signal Sciences would be better than the other alternative, which is an interesting uh, twist on this take as well. Hiring somebody to red team that that web application. Again, by even even what red teams do now is not always aligned with the likelihood of uh, that level of skill set being deployed against you. Yeah. Uh, and on the application side, you know that that likelihood, depending on what that application has, obviously, is really really low in most cases. And even if you're talking about yeah, I mean a lot, a lot of a lot of red teamers they tend to focus on rolling like an APT crew, whereas the more realistic thing yeah. is going to be really stupid but voluminous instead of really tightly targeted and sneaky right 
and we have, and, and I'm privileged to have some of this information, but you know, Proof has got 200,000 customers, about 10,000 of which are very large. And many, many of them are some of the world's more sensitive organizations. The percentage of our customers that ever see an APT attack on the number one threat vector, which is what we observe, is a very low single digit number. Most years it's about 3%. And many of those things that even get into that category as APT attacks, you know, you, you could you could argue whether may, that deserves the designation. Yeah. Like Fin Seven is a good example. Well, I mean, well, they're not APT, really, are they? I mean, who calls Fin Seven an yeah, APT? We, we've 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 historically considered them APT financial because they are that level actor. Yeah, no, uh, fair, at fair. least in the past. But, but of course, they've changed. I guess what I was going to say too is like, as part of that three three percent, you're also going to get you know those second, third tier China crews who are just trying their luck wherever they can, right? Oh, 100%. Uh, Chinese crews, Pakistani crews, uh, the the Gaza hacking team. Like, there's, there's a lot of them that do do fairly broad campaigns that skew that number. So you're, to your point, yes, volume percentage might not be the best way to look at that. But uh, but yeah, you're, the, the, I think the, the broader point is that the way that a typical red team rolls is only going to be relevant to... I would argue less than three percent. Uh, and t- to your to your example, <laughs> the the good APT crews are a small percentage of the three percent. Mm. <laughs> so that's just not what a typical organization faces. And we end up making ourselves feel really bad about our security controls when most of the time, again, that's not what we're up against. We're up against a BEC crew. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say though that I think that where the red teams, uh, you know, people I speak to say that the red teams certainly still have some value is that. Um, you know what the what the what the um, lateral movement paths look like once you're in an organization because quite often there's totally there's ways that you can actually make that a little bit harder based on red team recommendations but you know customers always ignore the recommendations so yes of course but i think that that's a great point though in terms of likelihood if you're going to see somebody move laterally on your network and ransomware has made that very high likelihood you're going to see them do the same mostly Active Directory-based stuff that they've been doing for a really, really, really long time. And your EDRs are probably going to want to look for a, a set of actions, so you got to make sure that those are properly tuned, the things that you spent so much money on, you know, and that you're actually responding to those alerts. But ultimately, likelihood plays a huge role there too, because the typical attack paths that have been kind of turned, on to, turned into an assembly line by most of these threat actors that are very, very, very common to see in environments, they are going to be basically the same things over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, even some of those machine learning based tools that look at active directory behavior are going to be pretty useful, right, in combating some of this stuff. So, I mean, if you had to choose between something that monitors active directory for weird stuff versus an NDR product, I mean, just based on what you're saying, you might go for the active directory monitoring thing. I would every time, yeah. Uh, just because that's the likelihood, right? And and also, I have a higher likelihood of being able to close down some of those attack paths than I do around kind of figuring out how to segment every aspect of what a network looks like. So even the solve is a higher likelihood in in that case because <laughs> again, the 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 attack paths are really well understood, and again, you're likely to see them. Now, uh, I will just go back to the DLP thing, though, because you've, you've expressed this to me in an interesting way previously, and I, I alluded to it earlier, right, which is that 
you know, the the DLP of 10 years ago was about data categorization, recognition, whatever. So, oh, these are credit card numbers, right? So we've got to do this with them and monitor them in this way. And it was very complicated, made life miserable for the users. These days, I mean, your twist, and this is a, a company that you acquired, Proofpoint acquired, but the reason you acquired it is because its twist on DLP, and this is the way the contemporary solutions are being built, isn't to look at what data is on the endpoint. It's to look at sketchy user behavior like putting in your resignation and then transferring gigabytes of stuff into Dropbox, right? Exactly, exactly. And those patterns are really, really robust, high signal to noise ratio things. Well, and this if is why I mentioned it's, it's not to give you a free yeah. kick in promoting your DLP stuff. Uh, I guess the reason I mention it is it's more along this philosophy of doing what works and looking for yeah. people, emailing themselves giant attachments is probably more effective than trying to, you know, inaccurately classify all of the data on an endpoint. Exactly. Then, And that was very much the philosophy because... DLP and Insider shouldn't really be two things anymore. You should just have one tool that understands when users are doing something either stupid or malicious with data. And it's going to happen relatively regularly in lots of dumb ways, lots of less dumb ways, but it is very, very straightforward to build for. And to your point, there's not a single environment where we have those tools deployed that does not see that every day. And the only question is, can you get to the point, and actually I was just talking to a life sciences CISO who made this point, you do have to be able to back the claim up when you're going to accuse somebody of stealing data from your company. Yeah. So that's, that's something that you have to go at relatively directly. And even approaches that we've tried to do in the past with DLP where it's, hey, this classification-oriented thing, and then I had a log event over here, and I tried to piece together the story. It's a little different than... Hey, yeah, you took 100 files that were already on your hard drive and you downloaded 53 more from SharePoint and you put them all in a zip and you put that zip in another zip and then you put a password on it and then you put it on Google Drive. That is something we just saw, actually. Uh, yeah. And that is always a malicious <laughs> pattern. You should yeah. not be doing that. There's not an excuse for that. And when you show that to the user, you know, this user in question actually went down to... Uh, the PC store <laughs> bought a new one and said, actually, this is my personal device and tried to cover up the activity that way. That was also dumb. Uh, but, you told me, you told uh, me about that one where, you, where management said, oh, here's, you know, hand over your device. And they like went down to Best Buy or whatever and bought one, right? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that, and that uh, you know, that one actually turned into a lawsuit, but it had a happy ending because that, that ultimately was data loss that was stopped. And that was an employee who had accepted a job with a competitor, had already resigned, before doing all of that and, uh, and and ultimately chose not to join the competitor and expose themselves to f further legal risk. Mm. So it's not really a KPI for a solution that you, you know, generate successful lawsuits, but ultimately that is also a really strong signal that you care about your data and you're going to you know, take proper care to make sure it's not stolen. Yeah, I mean, you're going to see a lot of... I, I think a solution like that's interesting, right? And I've seen other people approach this from a network monitoring side uh, where they can see just how much Dropbox is happening. And yeah. it's helped guide decisions of like, well, maybe we need to train people a bit better on how to use the official like corporate sanction storage and, and transmission services, stuff like that. Right. And then it's actually introduced an interesting technical problem, which is how do I tell your Google Drive apart from another Google Drive? 
because yeah. the URLs are the same. Or yes. my OneDrive apart from your OneDrive, right? <laughs> because these are all kind of munged together. Well, I mean, the, uh, the, so- the point the network uh, people made to me was like a lot of our customers, they're not actually Dropbox customers. So it's all bad. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. So- it's all shadow IT, right? Yeah. Yeah, and 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 the 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 vast majority of organizations that get to the point where they want to do something on the insider side, they do have a lot of that lockdown. You mm. just can't go to Dropbox arbitrarily, and you maybe can't even you know stick a USB in or all of the classic stuff that, that people have done to make make people think twice about exfilling. But that's actually pushed things to the long tail of cloud storage that is on the web, where you have to understand personal Google Drive or corporate Google Drive personal Dropbox or corporate Dropbox and and actually then use controls appropriately. But you know, to your earlier point, user activity will tell you whether that is malicious or not. Yeah. And if That's you're looking at lesson. Kind of what That's that user did, it's, stra- yeah. it's straightforward. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So I guess, look, wrapping this up, I mean, the TLDR here is keep your eye on the ball. Look at the stuff that's most likely to rinse you and, you know, go from there. Yeah, totally. And and obviously, you know, lining up with BEC and and ransomware and its number one vector, you want to have a solid anti-phishing program, whatever that looks like in your world. Obviously, things like MFA also are able to strengthen that as are EDR products further down the, the, the attack chain. But that's a useful jumping off point because I think, and this is this may be a more controversial thing, it's hard for especially big organizations to stop doing things. To say that's a control I had last year. I'm going to invest less in that now. And likelihood is a really, really, really good way to actually start doing that. And and to your point, there are opportunities like deploying a better WAF that's going to handle this for you to spin down some resources where the ultimate threat that is lurking out there not only is unlikely to happen, but is unlikely to be something that your organization is actually hurt by. It's, it's it's a cyber criminal business model. Yeah, one of the things you mentioned to me that uh, you think people are overspending on, and I actually had a bit of a chance to think about this, is like, you know, Kubernetes security tools and stuff because they're everywhere now, man. Everyone's making them. And they're cool. Totally. They actually work. But, you know, your position is, well, who's actually escaping containers at the moment? Like, it's just not something we're really seeing. And it's great if somehow the work that's being done by the vendor ecosystem makes Kubernetes safer and ultimately, that doesn't turn into something that cyber, criminal, cyber criminals can basically productize on their end. And that would be amazing if it actually, if, the, if we were able collectively as an industry to do this one right. But to your point, nobody's doing that right now on the adversary side because they don't need to. They have a rinse repeat kind of formula, and BEC and ransomware are so profitable that they've outcompeted every other form of cybercrime. So if you're not, well, that's why we mentioned we mentioned Fin like. Seven, and now they're doing ransomware, right? Because they've moved out of their totally. very exotic. Yeah. Uh, you know, they used to record people's screens once they'd owned bank terminals to understand the workflow, and like they did all of this work, and now they just crypt stuff and say, "Give us Bitcoin." I mean, it's 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 easier, right? Right. Oh yeah, and totally. They used to write custom point of sale malware and then email it to retail chains where they had an email address per the store in the mall. Like it was amazing work that they put in, but again, they were able to monetize that at the time because that was the model. Right now, ransomware and BEC are so much more effective that why would they bother? Like they're smart. Yeah. They, they know how to prioritize their efforts maybe better than we know how to prioritize ours because our tax surface is so massive. When being smart but most and of being theoretical. But when being smart and being lazy, combine. 
Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, Ryan Calibre, I think that's the perfect place to leave this conversation. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks a lot for sponsoring, being a major sponsor, actually, of uh, the Risky Business everything, because you guys sponsor the Seriously Risky Business. Uh, you do these with us. Uh, you're sponsoring Catalan's work with us too, so thanks for that. Uh, it's always great to chat to you, and we'll do it again soon. Keep up the great work, Pat. Uh, really, really looking forward to what Catalan's doing and very, very thankful to continue to be involved with the show. That was Ryan Calumba, Executive Vice President of Proofpoint there, talking about how a bunch of people out there just kind of have their priorities wrong. Uh, and uh, yeah, I hope, hope you all found that food for thought. Uh, that is it for this edition of the Soapbox Podcast. I do hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back soon with more security news and analysis. But until then, I've been Patrick Gray. Thanks for listening.